I've got a quick question for you before we get started today. Were there any outstanding presentations at the last Master Brewers District meeting you attended? I bet there were. Well, we'd like to share those stories with listeners, but we need your help. Unless they attended that same district meeting, Master Brewers members, including me, will never know about these outstanding presentations unless they get uploaded to the Master Brewers District Presentations Archive. So next time you sit in on a really great presentation, ask your district officers if you can help them get the presentations uploaded. It's super easy. There's even a short how-to video link at the top of the archive. And if there's a presentation that you think we should highlight here on the show, shoot me a quick message. You can find me at community.mbaa.com. This is the Master Brewers Podcast, brought to you by the Master Brewers Association of the Americas, a volunteer organization dedicated to continually improving the products and processes of our membership since 1887. Let's go! 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 Master Brewers brings you interviews with the industry's best and brightest in brewing science, technology, and operations. This Master Brewers podcast is proudly sponsored by Hopsteiner, a global leader in the hop industry focused on quality, sustainability, and innovation in new hop varieties and hop products. Contact our brewery sales team to provide you with the hop-related tools you need to craft your next great beer. For more information, visit hopsteiner.com. Additional support provided by... Get to know Proximity Malt. We malt superior, European-style, low-protein varieties grown close to home in Delaware and Colorado. Domestically grown, precisely malted to style. With our team of seasoned experts and two brand-new malt houses, try what's really new in malt. Check us out at www.proximitymalt.com. Every beer has a story, and that's why, for over 95 years, Gusmer Enterprises has offered a full line of solutions, including equipment, analytical instrumentation, and processing aids, all brought to you from leading suppliers and backed by strong technical support. For the solution to your story, go to gusmerbeer.com. The first part of this study was to try to get some baseline data on, on utilization. Like can, you, can we get a number on, on how efficient or inefficient dry hopping is? And then the next question was, well, okay, now that we have a baseline, can we like move it? Out of serendipity, at the same time, I was having a conversation with a large brewer, and uh, he was saying, hey, we're doing a trial on sequential versus single dry hopping in a very well-known beer brand that's heavily dry hopped. This week on the show, Tom Shellhammer joins us in Calgary to talk about the inefficiencies of dry hopping. There's plenty of classic literature about hop utilization, which describes the efficiency of bittering. I won't say this is straightforward because there's been recent work from folks like Aaron Justice aimed at describing and predicting how utilization changes as brewers move these enormous hop additions around and, and, and push saturation limits, etc. But let's talk about a different kind of hop utilization, aroma utilization. Why is this so difficult to measure or even define? Yeah, okay, so let's talk a little bit about utilization first uh, and put that in some context. Like from a bitterness perspective, uh, you've got three things going on. You've got isomerization of alpha acids to isos, which is incomplete in most boiling systems. You then have 
um, the solubilization, and you run into solubilization limits depending upon the, the medium you're working in uh, and the form of the hop. And then you also have these losses due to trube or yeast or whatnot. And so all those three of those kind of come together to affect how much ISO is produced when you add a certain amount of alpha. And the utilization number that people use is just how much ISO is in beer versus how much alpha you've added uh, at the beginning. So you can use the same sort of um, thought pattern for aroma utilization, except you don't have the isomerization part. So you think that might just be, it'd be similar. So now it's just solubilization and, and losses. But I think what makes the hop aroma utilization so tricky is that you're not working with a single compound. Uh, with hop bitter utilization, you've got alpha acids. Granted, there are three of them, but they're, but they're similar. They're similar, yeah. right? So you've got one target to chase. And what we found looking through this, and you know, whatever, hindsight is what, 2020, you know, so you can, it's pretty clear that the complexity of hop oil and the differences in the polarity of the compounds that are in hop oil, their solubility limits in, in wort and beer, their partition coefficients between uh, oil and water, these things all affect the extent to which the individual components want to be or don't want to be extracted into beer. And so then it becomes difficult to have a single number, right? So what do you, what do you chase? Do you chase a target compound, which you could? Um, and in many cases, the target compound may or, not, may or may not be like important flavor-wise. It might be easy to measure. Right. So. Yeah. And then you've got all these other factors, too, just in terms of the actual brewing process itself that are, uh, you know... Yeah, exactly. And the, you have the brewing process, and then you have just the way, as humans, we interact with beer and beer flavor in particular. So bitterness certainly can be modulated by pH and by residual sweetness and to some degree alcohol, but aroma is even more complex. You've got compounds that can have synergistic or masking effects, uh, the interaction between hop aromatics and fermentation aromatics, uh, malt aromatics, makes the characterizing efficiency a challenge, right? So is it, you could measure individual compounds with the GC, and that may or may not correlate with what you see from a sensory perspective. A fairly obvious place to start is to measure what's in the hops before dry hopping and then measure the spent hops post dry hopping to see what remains. Your lab has done this on several occasions, right? Yep, exactly. So the, the work that I'm presenting uh, tomorrow at uh, the MBA meeting here in Calgary is work that was done by Dean Hauser, who's a recently graduated master's student, uh, and he was following along in some projects behind um, Dr. Scott LaFontaine, we were doing work on hop kilning and, and hop maturity. And so uh, Dean would follow along with Scott and basically was looking at uh, what was coming out of these dry hop experiments. Scott was looking what was in the, in the hops going in. Dean was then also looking at what was coming out from a spent hop perspective. We would also then look at what's in the beer itself and do kind of a mass balance, right? So you could kind of start probing at the utilization or inefficiency level from that perspective. What did you find out? Uh, I think one of the striking things that we found out, at least it was striking for me, I mean, I'll ask you, like, before looking at this, if you did a dry hop experiment, how much stuff do you think you would get out of hops? Yeah, I don't know, half? <laughs> I have, I, myself, I thought, okay, you know, hops got, like, maybe 3% oil, 
It's sparingly soluble. You got a little bit of hop acids. I would have guessed maybe you would lose 15% of the hop material. And what we found is that on average, when you dry hop, you lose about 35% of the of the hop mass. Okay. Right. So you make a beer, and let's say you do a 100 kilo hop addition for a big dry hop bill. You put 100 kilos of hops in. The spent stuff coming out of the, that that tank, you only get 660 hop uh, kilos of spent stuff. So there's a lot of stuff that comes out of hops. It still More, smells like hops when it comes out. And it smells like hops when it comes out, exactly. So you have all the stuff that comes out of the hop during the dry hopping process, and the oil and hop acid part are actually really the smaller portion of that. So it made the project that we're working on a little bit of a challenge because when we started looking at hops just on an as-is basis, like when we looked at, at hop acids, we actually found that the hop acids appear to be concentrated you know, we would start with a hop that had, let's say, 8 or 9% alpha acids, and when we got done, we would analyze it, the spent material, and now it has 10%. Like, how is this happening? And, yeah. and so what we would have to do is basically look at the total extractable quantity from the hops and adjust our, our numbers based upon that. And I think that's, you know, for me, that's a, a big uh, eyebrow raiser because when you see, uh, when you dry hop beers, you see pH change pH goes up in a pretty linear fashion with uh, dry hop addition. You see extract going up uh, in, a, in a fairly linear fashion when you dry hop. So there is stuff from hops that goes into beer and fundamentally changes beer. And I mean, we know that as brewers, right? It's not just aroma. It changes mouthfeel. It changes a variety of things. Um, so that's, I think, a big striking thing for, for me when we first got into this, this work. There's, a, there's some pretty big differences between extraction efficiencies of bitter acids versus hop oils. Talk about what you've observed there. Yeah, so from a bitter acid perspective, you know, on a nice day, you would get maybe 35 to 40 percent utilization uh, of alphas in to isos out in the finished beer. Uh, and as you start moving the hot bill later and later in the boiling process, you get less and less isomerization, and those numbers go down. They go down to 10% or less. Um, but those late hop additions are really not about bitterness, right? They're about aroma. So why measure bitter utilization? But brewers do. Um, from a hop aroma perspective, um, some of these utilization numbers, um, you know, in some cases we found some numbers that were high as 80 or 90%, like we had some cases, uh, one of the trials, we could see high levels of linalool extraction. But there were other trials where that uh, linalool extraction was as low as 20%. And linalool is a, is a compound, because of its, its chemical nature, it, it tends to want to be in beer and wort to a greater degree than, say, um, a sesquiterpene-like humulene. Humulene, man, you could have as much humulene as you want in hops or just add it directly to wort, and it's just not going to go into solution. I mean, it'll be there, but like really, really low levels. Out, yeah tiny, tiny levels. And that's because of just the inherent insolubility of that, of that hot compound. So what you would find uh, is when you dry hop beer and you look at what's left behind in the beer to gauge some sort of utilization, the stuff that's remaining, particularly in the oil fraction, it becomes enriched in these compounds that don't want to go into solution, right? So you see the, the um, uh, sesquiterpene and terpene fraction goes up, like myrcene, uh, Humulene, caryophylline, these numbers tend to be concentrated. Some's going into the beer, but not as much as, say, the, the linalool or geraniol. Uh, and so these oil components in the spent material are more enriched. They, they still have flavor. They still have aroma. And in fact, what I'm not presenting tomorrow, but, but Dean has worked on this to look at, can you use spent materials like spent hops 
as a brewing material, and you can, but the quality that you get out of that is different because of this preferential or quasi-sequential extraction. We found that on a small scale that, let's say, a two-pound um, per barrel addition and a four-pound per barrel addition were virtually identical in aroma intensity. I'm John Bryce, and you're listening to the Master Brewers Podcast from the Master Brewers Association of the Americas. Support for this podcast is brought to you by ABS Commercial is a full-service brewery and parts outfitter. From our Raleigh headquarters to our Denver office, we proudly offer brew houses and fermenters from three barrels and up, yeast brinks, boilers, kegs, chillers, triclamp, and other stainless parts, all with the quickest delivery and lead times in the industry. Learn more at abs-commercial.com or call 877-BREW-ABS. ABS Commercial. We are brewers. Additional support provided by Brewery Supply Group is now the proud exclusive distributor of Dingaman's Malt. BSG is thrilled to partner with the Dingaman's family and to distribute their superior quality malts to brewers, distillers, and homebrewers in the U.S. and Canada. Dingaman's Malt combines modern techniques with their long-standing focus on quality and service to their customers and remains 100% independent and family-owned. Go to bsgcraftbrewing.com to learn more. And thank you also to Fermentis is the obvious choice for beverage fermentation. From large and small breweries to home brewers, we've provided the beer industry with the best fermentation yeast since 2003. The yeasts are easy to use, just pitch fermentous yeast directly into your wort. No rehydration necessary. To learn more about how fermentous can improve the quality of your fermentation, visit fermentous.com. Here's what's coming up on the Master Brewers calendar. District St. Paul, Minneapolis meets at Surly Brewing February 20th. District St. Louis meets at Third Wheel Brewing February 20th. District Carolinas meets at River Rat Brewery in Columbia, South Carolina, February 22nd. District Northern California holds its technical conference February 27th and 28th in Sonoma County. One of our newest districts, District Great Plains, meets February 28th and 29th in Kansas City. District Carolinas is putting on a two-day HACCP course at White Labs in Asheville, March 9th and 10th. The District Mid-Atlantic Spring Meeting is March 14th at Dogfish Head. District St. Louis meets March 19th at Urban Chestnut. District Milwaukee joins forces with the Wisconsin Brewers Guild for a technical conference March 26th in Green Bay. The District Texas Spring Meeting is March 27th through the 29th in Fort Worth. Check out the full calendar of events at mbaa.com for more details or to find a district meeting near you. Now back to the show. Um, those differences in extraction efficiencies to are they consistent across both lab and commercial scale trials? Yeah, so this the the project that Dean worked on was very much heavily focused on lab I say pilot scale trials, you know, trials where we we're working at like the forty liter to fifty liter range. But he did do some work with a local brewery. Uh, in in Corvallis, and that was on the let's say forty to seventy hectoliter scale. So these are commercial scales, not not as as large as uh, a, a larger regional craft brewery, but still you know a sizable um, size. 
And we got similar numbers, although the extraction rates tended to be a little bit higher in these commercial samples than they did in these pilot scale samples. And there's a number of potential reasons. The, the lab scale trials that we did, or pilot scale trials we did, our dry hopping was always in uh, bright beer. Mm-hmm. So we basically had an unhopped beer that was filtered bright and carbonated. And so we do all our dry hopping with that. So you don't have any of the yeast uh, component to this, for better or for worse. Right. And it was done on a static, small scale. So, um, I don't know, it's hard to gauge surface area to volume from a hop exposure, but certainly you don't have the hydrodynamics that you would have in a large scale um, fermenter or bright beer tank. Okay. Uh, you already commented on this, so I don't know if you want to add more to it or, or not, but I was going to ask, uh, mention that you, how you found that the um, hop essential oil is enriched in hydrocarbons relative to oxygenated compounds. Is there anything else you want to say about that? Um, I mean, just kind of circling back, it's, it, this is where the, the conundrum exists. If you want to use a, a GC approach to try to characterize uh, hop aroma extraction efficiency, what is it that you chase? Um, if you are if you've got hop material that you're putting in that you can extract and characterize, and you've got material coming out that you can extract and characterize, um, you have to be cognizant of the fact that different oil components have different degrees of solubility and, 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 um, or insolubility. And that a straight-up mass balance approach works okay on an individual component, but doesn't necessarily, may not necessarily tell you the, the overall performance. Another question you wanted to answer was, do smaller, more frequent dry hop doses lead to better utilization? Tell us how you set this one up. Yeah, so the, the first part of this study was to try to get some baseline data on, on utilization. Like, can, you, can we get a number on, on how efficient or inefficient dry hopping is? And then the next question was, well, okay, now that we have a baseline, can we like move it in a, in a direction? Because it's pretty inefficient. And uh, a trial that, that Dean wanted to look at, it kind of came up in that when you look at many brewers, uh, many brewers do multiple dry hopping events. And so it was like poking our finger at that, like, is there any reason to yeah. doing that? And people say, oh, we, get, we, so get, we can call it double dry, dry hopped. Right, right exactly. <laughs> people say, oh, we do it because it's, it's more efficient. Uh, okay. Um, so let's do it. So we did a trial where we basically dry hopped at different levels. Uh, and then split the dry hopping regime in half so we could do one where we got sequential dry hopping versus one shot and compared those side by side. And we actually saw some pretty dramatic differences between the two. That is the double dry hopping exposure resulted in greater uh, aromatic performance, shall we say, greater efficiency of the dry hopping experience, which was kind of neat, kind of, I know you call it surprising, the data are what the data are. But it was, it was interesting to see that the sensory data separated out so clearly. But what's also interesting is that just out of serendipity at the same time, I was having a conversation with a large brewer and uh, he was saying, hey, we're doing a trial on sequential versus single dry hopping in a very well-known beer brand that's heavily dry hopped. And uh, I'm like, hey, great. Can you send me some beer? Yeah. And so he sent us some beer and he, he like, like a scientist, he did this multiple reps, uh, single versus double, uh, total, same cumulative hop addition. And we looked at those from a sensory and chemistry perspective. 
And we saw similar trends, but the trends were much more muted uh, to the point that uh, from a statistical perspective, there really wasn't a, a difference between the single and double. Um, the data for the double all trended to be higher, but like from a statistical perspective, you got to kind of determine the signal from the noise, shall we say. So there's, it's like on one hand, it seems to corroborate what we saw on a small scale. But on the other hand, they're, they're, you know, statistically, we say there are not a, a big difference. Um, and then, uh, granted, we're back to the same sort of um, caveats that the small scale stuff we do is with bright filtered beer on a small scale and um, these commercial scale operations are like sequential additions not a dry hop and hop removal then a second dry hop it's one dry hop addition add more hops on top of that so, so were these uh, in, in both cases was fermentation complete in in all cases or was there still any activity during either of these uh, well in the case of the lab scale ones there's no no the, the beers are all fermented in fact they were the beers were made at a commercial brewery yeah. and uh, filtered bright carbonated kegged and sent to us um, the commercial scale trials are running like a commercial brewery would so the dry hopping events at least with the commercial breweries were happening after fermentation or just at the tail of fermentation so they weren't active fermentation, uh, but they weren't days out, and they certainly weren't after yeast had been removed, you know, the, the, removed or yeah. the, the beers centrifuged bright. All right. Um, you kind of already answered most of my questions. <laughs> Excellent. Um, did uh, anything else you want to say about um, maybe the, the sensory for um, for either of those two? Was well, there... okay, one of the things that, that happened with the sensory data, and, 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 and this is with the, like the single versus double dry hopping, is that we have single versus double, but we also have this dose experiment, right, where we're looking at dry hopping at one pound per barrel, two pounds per barrel, four pounds per barrel, and these data don't show a linear relationship between aroma intensity and dose, and it, and they they completely um, corroborate some work that um, that Scott Lafontaine did looking at hop dosage, and that is as you move to higher and higher levels, you get diminishing returns. Uh, and so from an efficiency perspective, efficiency goes way down. But what I think also is not just from a, an efficiency perspective, um, we found that on a small scale that, let's say, a two-pound um, per barrel addition and a four-pound per barrel addition were virtually identical in aroma intensity. Wow. I mean, it's going up, but not enough for you to move the dial. Yeah. And so not identical in cost. No, exactly. So, so I, I think that... that um, what we've learned from the stuff that Scott did and now what, what Dean has done is that that the approach of just throwing more hops at a beer to try to push aromatic intensity up doesn't necessarily move the dial. It moves it a little bit, but it's such an inefficient approach like from a cost perspective. Like why double the hopping cost and get an incremental bump on aroma? There's, there are other levers that I think brewers can pull to, um, to more efficient, efficiently and effectively use the hops. That was Tom Shellhammer live from the 2019 Master Brewers Conference in Calgary. All Master Brewers members can now get their very own free copy of Tom's presentation along with all the other outstanding posters and presentations from Calgary. Download your copy of the conference proceedings at mbaa.com or check the show notes for a direct link. Master Brewers members don't just get free access to the annual conference proceedings, we also get access to the hundreds of presentations that take place at all of the individual district meetings. 
but there's only one way to be sure that invaluable searchable archive reaches its full potential. I know you want to see that happen as much as I do, so let's talk about how you can help. Ask your district officers if you can help them get the presentations uploaded. It's super easy. There's even a short how-to video link at the top of the archive. And if there's a presentation that you think we should highlight here on the show, shoot me a quick message. All the links you need are in the show notes. Are you enjoying the Master Brewers podcast? Let me tell you about a simple way you can help us keep making more. Take a minute to thank our sponsors. There's no way we could produce this show without generous support from sponsors like Hopsteiner, ABS, Proximity Malt, BSG, Gussamer, and Fermentis. So please, let them know you heard their message on the Master Brewers podcast and that you appreciate their support. Thank you.